Yo, you get parkour, rock climbing, and surfing. More. Okay, hiking, camping, and date nights. Even more. Picnics, road trips, and suntans. More, more, more. The new Mercedes-Benz GLB, designed for those who want more. More space with seven seats. More connectivity with MBUX. More room for life. A life of more possibilities awaits. Test drive the new Mercedes-Benz GLB today. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Matt Splained. Now, we often refer to technology as a step in the right direction, on the assumption that better things will follow. What happens when those steps themselves become the problem? Walk this way as MSP's Matt Armitage takes you into the strange world of step recognition. Matt, just to make this clear, this isn't a health devices, it's not about health device and step counters, is it? No, today is about the strange and dark world of uh, people rather than health tracking. Uh, We're talking about the ways that your walk, your posture, even your shadow may one day be as uh, powerful a biometric indicator of your identity as your face, your fingerprints, or your retina scan. But on the uh, subject of health trackers, as you brought it up, uh, Singapore has just teamed up with Apple to pay its citizens to wear the Apple Watch. Uh, The two-year program is called Lumi Health, and users can earn up to $380 a month in cash and vouchers if they hit uh, exercise-based targets that come in the companion app. Uh, So it's part of the idea of uh, shaping communities and societies by part of this idea of uh, nudging social behaviour. Well, yeah. So the app will also remind you to go for medical checkups. Uh, It has kind of personalised coach for training sessions and progress, uh, which is kind of interesting because Apple has just announced the rollout of a coaching and fitness service called... Mm. Apple Fitness, obviously. Uh, So I imagine Singapore and uh, Apple have been working on this collaboration for quite a while. But we've seen it really dawn on countries this year what the price of poor health actually is. You know, we've Mm. seen this global rise in illnesses linked to sedentary lifestyles, you know, stroke, hypertension, diabetes, a lot of other conditions. Mm. And of course, people with underlying health conditions are a lot more at risk of developing uh, severe complications with diseases like COVID-19. So I think it's finally starting to hit home that it's much cheaper to incentivize health and even to pay people to stay, stay healthy than it is to pay to have them treated. So this Singapore scheme, it's currently uh, voluntary. Are you concerned that schemes like this might eventually become compulsory? Well, it is a big concern. You know, it's a relatively small journey from nudge to requirement. We're already seeing these implications in the social credit schemes that China has been trialing, you know, where you can be penalised for associating with someone the regime determines to be less than, you know, the optimal person. And that your credit score determines your ability to access basic services like housing, education, healthcare, and even your ability to to get or keep jobs. Obviously, I'm not saying that you become a non-person if you eat one donut too many, but Mm. we could see creep in that direction. So discounts on medical insurance if you agree to wear a tracker and 
you suddenly start to see this nudge becoming a shove. You know, you lose your coverage if you don't run to, uh, 10 kilometers every day or if you drink too much one night or you do opt for that extra donut. Then mm -hmm. we see the devices making us, you know, perhaps healthier, but less free and far more regimented and our um, behavior becoming a lot more limited. Right. So um, aren't you worried then that they'll be used as a surveillance tool? Well, it's, it's not really my primary kind of concern. You know, I guess this brings us back to the meat and potatoes of today's show, which, of course, is surveillance. Uh, so, yes, they can be used in that way. You know, the one I'm wearing on my wrist right now has a GPS tracker. It's got a cloned SIM card in it, so it can be used for phone calls, even though uh, if I do do that, it makes me <laughs> look like I'm one of those bit part actors in one of those 1970s sci-fi crime flicks. But it's perfectly possible to track me and listen to me using this device. But like I said, it's not my primary concern because we already carry phones with us everywhere. And those devices are much more leaky. They subject us to a lot more supervision and tracking than a health tracker is likely to do. You know, we've already made a lot of privacy accommodations this year. Uh, we've sacrificed personal privacy for the common good with uh, things like track and trace apps. So I don't particularly want people to know, you know, how often I eat lunch at the same place or that I'm in and out of the pharmacy on an almost daily basis. Uh, of course, I'm not. And that data trail is fake news. But, you know, we've been asked to make that temporary trade off for the sake of our own well-being and more importantly, for the well-being of others. So in which case, why would you be so worried about the way in which you walk? Well, this is something that's called gait analysis. Uh, that's G-A-I-T, not G-A-T-E. Uh, and it's the process of measuring the way we stand and walk and run. So I'll get to a more full description in a bit. But one of the things that we've seen this year is an increase in more invasive surveillance and tracking tools. We've seen facial recognition systems, uh, even some mounted on drones, expand in use across the world. China, of course, is a, a leader with a lot of this technology, uh, deploying cameras with uh, infrared sensors that can take your temperature remotely and recognize your face, even if you're wearing a mask. So if you're one of those people who breaks quarantine or isn't even aware that you're sick, Little alarms will go off and somebody can scoop you off and take you off to isolation and testing. Mm. But over time, those systems become normalized. They disappear into the background radiation of our lives. They're invisible, but they still affect us. And for, at that point, you know, they've made that transition from health apparatus to security apparatus. Mm. And the person scooping you up and taking you somewhere isn't doing it for the good of your health anymore. The way we walk is as unique a signature as our faces are. Yeah, and that's not uh, a new discovery. So I have to give credit to the new scientist, as usual, for helping with uh, today's show. A story called The Way You Walk may soon be used by authorities to identify you by David Adam. Now, you only have to look around your office or a pedestrian area to see how differently people walk and hold themselves. Some people stoop and slouch. There are fast walkers. There are slow walkers, people who swing their arms, people who take big steps and people who take smaller steps. Other people kind of shuffle, uh, skliffers, as my wife calls them. And there are dozens of mus uh, muscles working together, flexing and straining to create that particular pattern of movement in an individual. Um, how would you describe your walk? 
I've been acutely made aware of this fairly recently, actually, uh, because as a kid, I had walking issues. Um, so I tend to, my toes tend to point towards one another. Uh, my left leg is substantially shorter than my right, and I hunch ever so slightly. So I'm, I'd imagine I'd be pretty easy to spot in a crowd. <laughs> wow, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, I I, I tend to favour my uh, right side. I kind of lean and hunch a bit as well because my right eye is dominant. It's trying to correct the information on my left. So I kind of lean against the work, uh, mm. lean against the world rather. But the more uh, scientists are researching uh, our gait and the way we move, the more they're coming to the conclusion that it is as unique to an individual as a fingerprint. I mean, perhaps not uh, to the, the kind of extent that you're talking about, <laughs> uh, where you're, you know, streets ahead of everyone else in identifying yourself. But <laughs> yes, everybody is, has these little character traits in the way that they move. Now, uh, before we get into the details of, of how this kind of analysis is done, which I'm sure you have an explanation for, uh, can we just clear something up? Um, I'm assuming that scientists weren't looking at this initially uh, from the point of view of uh, surveillance. No, I mean, we've always been interested in the way that people walk and hold themselves. Uh, you only have to look at uh, historical accounts and historical fiction, which often included detailed descriptions of the, the way people walk and present themselves. And we make a lot of judgments about people based on the way they walk, the way they move. Uh, one really famous example in popular culture is uh, Kevin Spacey's character, in The Usual Suspects, yeah. where at the end of the, the movie, I, yeah, of course, you remember, right, he morphs yeah. from the cerebral palsy suffering con man, uh, verbal kint, into the crime kingpin and boogeyman, Kaiser Soze. And he does that just by changing the, walk, uh, the way he walks and the way he holds himself. And further back, if you go to things like Shakespeare, you know, Richard the Third, your namesake, is mm. cast as this hunchbacked villain, which you seem to be trying to portray yourself as as well. Um, <laughs> and most pressingly, you know, we've all been trained from a very early age to recognise the kind of shuffle and drag that characterises incoming zombies. Yeah, all right. Back to the surveillance, Matt. Come on. Yeah, I know. When I get to zombies, I'm usually a little bit off track. But um, mm. forensic scientists and criminologists have been interested in this area for as long as we've had CCTV. Uh, now, CCTV, particularly older systems, they don't always capture us at our best. The cameras are often mounted up high, they're downward facing, so they're not actually optimised to catch faces, even where the resolution is high enough for it to be useful. So those guys, like criminologists, forensic scientists, have been looking into gait analysis as a way to identify suspects for a long time. Uh, we'll talk more about this after the break, but even the shadows we cast as we stand may be unique enough to identify us. So with the expansion of uh, computer capacity, which allows for a lot more complex processing, we're seeing the use cases of gait analysis amplify, especially when it comes to their kind of medical and therapeutic uses. What do you mean in terms of uh, diagnosis or treatment? Well, a bit of both. So video analysis can help to determine whether certain muscular problems are present. And the hope is that this can be used as an early indicator for conditions like multiple sclerosis uh, and Parkinson's disease, potentially years before people 
develop any kind of manifestations of the disease or obvious manifestations. So in terms of treatment, uh, and again, I took this example from the New Scientist because it's another example of popular culture and science colliding. Uh, Kyle Reed, a biomechanics researcher at the University of South Florida, examines the gait of stroke victims with the same body sensing technology and cameras that James Cameron used for the movie Avatar. So you have, you know, life imitating art, imitating life. Mm. And one of the advantages is that the computer processing picks up the kind of detail that a physiotherapist can't see with observation alone. So there's potential to uh, increase the effectiveness of rehabilitation programs. And of course, there's the much more straightforward issue of correcting our posture to make us a little bit more biomechanically efficient. After the break, Dancing in the Dark. You're listening to MSP here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Balanced Frank Medium, BFM. 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. You're tuned into MSP here on BFM. And we're talking about the way we walk on today's MSP, uh, specifically the way it can be used to identify trackers. Before the break, we spoke about some of the medical applications of this developing technology. Now, you're inviting everyone to take a dance into the dark with you. Well, yeah, not one of my favourite Springsteen numbers, I have to say, but, um, you know, catchy enough. Uh, That's why I uh, chose Run DMC and Aerosmith's uh, Walk This Way as my imaginary uh, soundtrack to this episode, a lot more histrionic. Mm. I think, as I, I mentioned briefly in the first part of the show, you know, we've seen an expansion of surveillance systems in many parts of the world in 2020. And we've accepted many of these developments as being necessary to protect people from COVID-19. And that's an assertion that I've made a number of times on the show. But we should be mindful of the long-term implications of these technologies to surveil and control us. Uh, And I think I mentioned before the break how quickly we normalise this kind of invasive technology. Yeah. Uh, Before we head further into these implications, what does gait analysis actually involve? Well, this is really where that computer processing I mentioned earlier comes in. Uh, And I mentioned those avatar body capture systems. That kind of detail allows us to track very precise movements that the human eye can't detect. So the degree of flex in your ankle or your knee, how far your ankle actually rotates, the Mm. measurement of the foot as it strikes the ground and lifts again. And when you put all that information together, you get a gait pattern that the evidence seems to suggest is unique to you. Now, earlier you mentioned that um, something about shadows, that even our shadows can be used to identify us. What did you mean by that? Well, yeah, this is quite amazing. I mean, this was something that was discovered quite early on in the history of gait analysis. It's called gait energy imaging. And it started as a way to identify people just by their silhouette. A series of images is taken of the person as they walk, usually from the side. These emerged into a composite that uh, shows your arms and legs moving in blurry arcs while your torso and your head remain constant. Uh, According to uh, Researcher Mark Nixon at the UK's University of Southampton, the system is now pretty much up to uh, an accuracy rate of about 90%, 
with a database containing thousands of people. A new scientist also notes that a silhouette system in Portugal was able to reliably recognise people as they walked past a downward-facing camera just by analysing their shadows. Wow. Um, why do you think this technology has the power to be more intrusive than face recognition technology? Well, I mean, the wow that you just came out with uh, kind of says as much as you need <laughs> to know about that just from your shadow. But, you know, we have this very data-intensive picture of technological development. When we look at uh, autonomous cars, what's holding the process up is that our technology can't compete with the processing ability that our brains have. And there are similar issues with face recognition technology. It works better on light-skinned males, partly because the world contains a larger database of images of light-skinned males than it does for any other social group. So that's what the machine learning systems are trained to excel at recognizing. So until our computer vision systems are better and the databases that are used to train them are more comprehensive and representative, it hampers the progress of those systems. So it's similar to the discussion about smartphones and health trackers as surveillance tools. In a way, you know, uh, we voluntarily cart around uh, these devices that give out location data, contain a camera and microphone, uh, one that can stream permanently. Uh, we even use the devices to, to map out our journeys from one place to another. And we do those things for our own benefit. And that's why privacy regulations are so critical. So surveillance systems, at least at our current level of technical and technological ability, are more effective the simpler they are. Uh, one case in point, I think on an episode of uh, either Matt's Blamed or Geeks last year, I can't remember which, we talked about a system that uses Wi-Fi as a surveillance tool. Uh, a radio wave detuning system reduces uh, the background frequency noise that you get from your Wi-Fi antenna. So the system can create a picture as a stick figure of people moving around within those waves from the Wi-Fi. So one of the examples for that would be uh, used for home detention, for example, mm. ensuring that a person or a family doesn't break the terms of their detention or quarantine or that unauthorized people don't come and see them. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't camera surveillance be better, though? Well, undoubtedly, but this is a system that could be monitored by a machine that sends out an alert if your movements or behaviour fall outside the agreed norms. Or equally, it could be used in giving living assistance to people with disabilities or the elderly. The system would know if you didn't get out of bed or if you had a fall, again, allowing an automatic monitoring system to send an alert for assistance. Camera systems would be a lot more invasive, they'd be a lot more costly, and they'd require a lot more monitoring resources, either in terms of actual humans looking at the screens or in terms of the amount of data generated that then needs to be crunched and processed. So the Wi-Fi system uses a device you already have in your home and it just reads the signals it's already emitting. There's nothing else to add there except that detuning algorithm. It's mm. cheap, it's pretty much invisible, and it's good enough for the task. And gate analysis ticks similar boxes? Well, as I said before, you know, a lot of CCTV footage is pretty grainy. Uh, those click of a button enhancements that we see in the, the movies and on TV are, you know, fiction. Um, machine intelligence systems are getting better at filling in those fuzzy pixels with a statistically likely artifact. 
but we're not there yet. So mm. ramping those systems up requires better accuracy in the uh, learning data, uh, higher resolution images from the cameras, placement at angles that are more conducive to capturing faces. So there are a lot of ifs to make those things you know, really accurate and successful. So it's much better if a fuzzy camera can recognize somebody with a 99% accuracy rate just from the way they walk. What's impeding adoption of systems like these? Well, data processing is a, a big issue. You know, you need a series of images from a person for a successful match. So to put all that information together and process it in real time is still a massive challenge. Uh, obviously, in the majority of surveillance cases, law enforcement wants to have the power to react. But we're not at the point yet with most of these uh, gate analysis projects where it is possible to be reactive, to, to have it in real time. But where it is of use is in cases where analysing information after the fact is still going to be a powerful tool. In terms of analysing crowds or protests, for example? Yeah, exactly that. So we mentioned the Portuguese shadow analysis system before. As New Scientist points out, a technology like that could be mounted on drones and used for long-term aerial surveillance in all kinds of uh, situations. So there are massive civil liberties uh, implications going on there. If you were to happen to live in one of the world's more repressive countries, a system like this could be used to identify pretty much anyone at a rally or a protest. The emphasis mm. there wouldn't be so much on speed as on it having a chilling effect. So it wouldn't matter if the AI took a few weeks to trawl through all that data. Knocking on someone's door and arresting them weeks or months later is still a powerful tool in persuading other people not to take part in future protests. Yeah. And of course, this comes in a year that has seen an incredible number of public protests, despite the gravity of COVID-19. So that kind of tool might look very attractive to more illiberal governments. Do many countries have the legislation to deal with this kind of technology? Not really. I mean, some countries have started to look at legislation to regulate the kind of biometric tracking and surveillance that uh, private companies and governments can engage in. Uh, I think Scotland is, uh, is one of them, actually. But the technology is still roaring ahead of our ability to regulate it. Uh, it isn't all bad news, though. You know, there are some quite interesting and useful commercial applications for the technology. MasterCard is said to be working on methods uh, to use gate analysis uh, as an identification system as you approach a, a ticket barrier. So that could be useful in all sorts of applications, uh, security doors at your office, airline departure gates, public transport, uh, concerts, obviously. It can also be used to enhance uh, security in buildings and, of course, secure locations because somebody might steal a pass or find some other way into a lockdown facility. Mm. Gate analysis would allow you to flag people who were walking around in places that they shouldn't be just, again, from the way that they move. Uh, mm. They might be outsiders or they could be people who have clearance for some areas of a building and not for others. But all of these things would still require a huge network of cameras. Well, not necessarily. Um, some systems are even being trialed using floor sensors and this kind of blows my mind. Uh, so you step onto a smart floor tile. It identifies you from the way your foot strikes the mat. Uh, you know, I really can't get my head around that. Um, you could use that for uh, smart door locks, for example, for, for your home. 
Right. The, the one question we haven't asked, though, and, and it's a big one given some of the potential uses of this technology, um, can it be spoofed? Well, that is literally the multi-million dollar question. Uh, not just can someone imitate your gait, but can you convince this kind of system that you aren't you? Um, you know, can you change your step or by stooping, can you make it think that you're somebody else? Now, that might be hard for most of us to pull off successfully, but imagine an actor like Andy Serkis, somebody who right. inhabits characters very physically. Would he be able to pose as someone else? Mm. Or look at the reverse case. Would one of those systems be able to identify him as Serkis when he's playing a, a physically twisted character like Lord of the Rings Gollum? Mm. Uh, you know, obviously we're not anywhere near an end point with gait analysis but from a day-to-day -day perspective where most of us aren't putting on a, a limp to disguise the way we walk these developments pose a, a substantial potential threat to our civil liberties uh, and incidentally you know this takes us into the territory covered on the docudrama the social dilemma uh, which is what we'll be talking about on next week's show excellent Thank you very much. This has been MSP here on BFM 89.9 with, of course, Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. You're listening to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.